0: And let's, uh, let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful for your word, um, the second epistle of St. Peter, and grateful for his ministry to us and all the saints throughout Christian history. We'd ask that you would be uh, merciful to us in helping us grasp what he's dealing with. In your son's name, amen. Well, 2 Peter's short, and we'll cover it tonight, next week, then we'll be done. Um, little less than half of the book tonight, so it's a little shorter. I even had to add a section of Jeremiah on the back just to make it stretch out a bit, but it's loaded. Um, Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours in the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises that through these you may escape from the corruption that is in the world because of passion and become partakers of the divine nature. You can... Just reading through it in a flow, you're realizing you're getting the the forklift has just dumped a a wad of things on your lap because it seems like it has everything. It says things like all things. Um, So there's a, and it ends up with this basic you're going to get good. Through this, you are going to become partakers of the divine nature. So we want to go back and look at, what did he, what did he just say? There is a, a quick little phrases like, obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. Uh, one of the key things in the Reformation was the, the equal nature, the, 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 the non-divided nature between clergy and congregation in the Reformation. That there was the same standing in Christ for the priest and for the congregant rather than a different, you know, apostolically succeeding um, uh, viewpoint of the priest. Um, the The presbyter or the priest or the or the minister was one of the congregation. He wasn't a distinct class. And 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 there is this. There's an equitable state which we have between the audience that Peter's writing to. And himself, He's saying an equal standing of our, our faith is of equal standing. We have, we have, and we have it. He's saying these people have obtained. Not, he's not trying to get them to get. They've already got uh, uh, the same standing any believer has, and that is in the righteousness of our God. The, the idea, basically, that there are no ranks in the faith. No ranks in the faith part of the faith. Uh, you're either in, you're out. You're believing or you're not believing. It's an on-off switch. Um, and that faith has a standing that's commensurate with, with the apostles. He says, I'm an apostle, and you've got a faith of equal standing with mine um, in the righteousness of, uh, righteousness of God. But at the same time, though you have obtained something of equal standing, there's an encouragement that something be gained verse 2, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. Where you come to faith and you obtain that state, you have the righteousness of God in Christ, you now have a task on you to grow in grace and peace from knowledge, or in knowledge. Now, that knowledge, now this is repeated, the, the nature of the knowledge is is what is then uh, laid out for us his divine power has granted you all things so everything pertaining to life and godliness are at a grant of the Lord through the knowledge of him okay so you, if I there's so many floating pieces of the sentence God's power giving you a grant, that you obtain because you pursued the knowledge of him that he called you to, he, who called us to his own glory and excellence. Okay? That, that, that there's, this, there's this pull, there is this uh, uh, insistence from the Holy Spirit that we move on further into God. We have obtained a faith of equal standing. Our knowledge is something... That God is calling us to greater and greater understanding that in it we can be granted the things that pertain to life of God with us. And for the believer, <clears throat> faith is a, uh, the faith moment, salvation, uh, uh, is a obedience of will that by the grace of God sins forgiven. And life eternal granted so those, but understanding isn't you know you, you, you're not you don't find, suddenly find you know a funnel put in your ear and all the, the the knowledge of God poured into your head as you rise from your knees at the Billy Graham crusade you don't get correct opinions you don't get um, understanding of all that God is trying to do that is something that you can multiply, you can pursue, you can gain the things that pertain to life and godliness, and it's, a, it's an equation not merely of uh, pursuit of knowing, going to enough Bible studies and reading theology works, because there has to be his power is granting this on the heels of your knowledge, on the heels of his call. So I am pursuing what he called me to, I'm pursuing it in knowing, and in that, there's a grace grant of God that 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 he is moving, um, as you're moved by your faith into an arena of knowing more of him, he um, takes those um, facets of what you know. You probably have recognized it in every area of your life as knowledge about whatever, a job, a, a, a piece of information, news, material, whatever it is. Your capability of functioning in the arena that that knowledge affects almost without thinking is imparted to you 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 are you have this pursuit you gained a place, and now god's grace is not going to be turning me without me knowing what's going on to better and wiser decisions. I have to become better and wiser that he may you might say point out to my will, point out to my that this is what I know about the circumstance? By which, verse 4, um, so so I've got this, everything pertaining to the love and godliness, through the knowledge, calling to the glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. Now, the by which, um, it's hard to and maybe have to look at some other translations to see whether or not it makes it clearer whether it's the divine power by which he has granted this to us or was it the knowledge of him by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. Um, uh, whatever the case, the path is still, you might say, containing all those forces, you gaining knowledge of, uh, of God and Jesus our Lord, that God can grant to you the things that he wants to grant to you, and, um, and in the midst of that, precious and very great promises, um, those things, however they land on the table in front of you, those forces all were involved in it, that through these, the promises, you may escape from the corruption that is in the world because of passion and become partakers of the divine nature. So when we get to, you know, you've heard me say before, I'm sure in circumstances, because I ride this horse frequently, um, and it comes out of Peter, First Peter, uh, um, gird up your minds, be sober, set your hope fully on the grace that is to be real, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. As he who called you is holy, be you holy in all your conduct. That the idea of setting passion aside, he mentions it, deals with it twice in 1st Peter, that um, there's a corruption in the world because of passion. And escape is the desired end. You need to escape that inertial force and take on a divine nature, and this is the path by which you do it. So if you work your way, be say, I've always wondered how to get, how do I keep my passions from guiding my life, and how do I have the divine nature guide my life? Well, God's promises, doesn't list what they are. Um, uh, It might not be specific, precious or very great promises, but they are the they are minimally what god is fulfilling in you through his covenant with you he is fulfilling he's calling you to something his divine power is executing something you're executing something and they are combining to work out um everything that your knowledge of what pertains to this life you can understand the life in front of you and he has promises that he Wants if you, you you could just sort of thumb through the New Testament you could look at um, you know, Ephesians one and the conformity to the image of Christ. There's a promise that you're destined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Um, that that promise is active in you in setting aside in setting aside the passion. Actually, it doesn't actually say, it. it's not talking directly about your passions necessarily, but from the corruption in the world through passion. To whatever degree you might be affected by it, either in yourself or in others. But the whole point is the escape from it. So you're, you're, you're tossing a bunch of things in the air that are all very um, uh, easy for people to select one aspect of it. I'm going to trust in God's. I'm going to trust God to do it. Um, uh, or they get caught up in pursuing, pursuing knowledge, or they're always talking about God's promises. But or they get misaligned with God's glory and excellence, so they think that it has to do with what my I, I worship is like. They become singular rather than saying, "This is a long sentence. This is a long sentence that that modifies itself." by the other parts in it Um, so I have to (coughs) when I'm pursuing the knowledge of God in Christ I know I am pursuing it in obedience to his call in submission to his power and in hope of his promises because I want the end result it's a lot of times people don't actually want the escape from the corruption that is in the world they don't really want to take on the divine nature really it's not really a goal that they set out for themselves but if that's the goal that you've set out those things are going to be um, the, necessary, the necessary parts, none of them dropping off for this very reason now given that God's divine power and his promises and his call and the effect of those things to bring about this end that I want, there is um, there is a reason, if you're looking for notes that are over there on the board. She just called me. It was like no one out front. I was like, is it tonight? <laughs> I thought I heard a not something at the And door. I thought you were going to tell us tell me you're coming to Thanksgiving or something, so I thought, I'll call her back afterwards. Sorry, this is on the table. Yes, now, this is, now this is on podcast. You have to make sure the name gets registered, so, so people around the world will know. Um, we're about five verses in. Um, and it would seem that for the person who wants to trust God entire, just sort of Try to rest in God and have God take them to that ne- that next level. Um, Miss this point for this very reason. Make every effort because that's the case. Make every effort to and I and I played with the text here because it's easier to see this structure in the in the uh, with it centered and and each phrase uh, set apart because of this look at this as a checklist supplement your faith with virtue it goes back to your beginning your faith back in verse 1 which is of equal standing with the Apostles you've obtained that so if you're in the faith the first thing that supplements faith is goodness purity your virtues we could probably read in Mere Christianity about, he was talking about Christian virtues, and then the classical cardinal virtues, uh, prudence, justice, fortitude, and, what's the fourth one, Um, temperance. Those are four cardinal, four cardinal virtues, and faith, hope, and love are the ecclesiastical, theological virtues of the seven, 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 seven virtues, but it's not, it's not appealing when he says the virtues, there's no, he's talking about whether or not your faith has had its immediate good effect, like James would say, faith without works is dead faith, okay? faith without virtuous action, that, that I am being good to others, um, uh, as a primary first move in my Christian life which is unlike clear knowledge of God unlike a studied existence over many years of the things of Christ faith and virtue are immediately possible <laughs> you could you could come to a knowledge of God and believe without question and it's a belief that the the faith the, the the fact that faith is one of the virtues Lewis asked the question about how can believing or not believing a proposition be a moral thing? Which is because people believe with their head, but their faith is a combination of their head and their the strength of that head faith Contending with the mood that comes upon them just because their mood will swing them in and out of belief. He gave the illustration of being believing that anesthetics work and then you're lying on the table, and they put the mask on your face. You suddenly realize that your faith in anesthesia is is um, wobbly at best. You wonder if they're going to start cutting before you're under, and if they're going to smother you, if they're going to you. Know, you, you begin to wonder uh, because your mood shifts. Your what seemed to be absolute faith in in the science of anesthetic, but your mood shifts things. Well, the Christian is not that the the, the moral virtue of faith is the person who has looked at their faith, as Lewis calls it in his obstinacy of belief, um, the psychological exclusion of doubt. You know, that I'm not in a place where at any point, at any time, in any part of my day, I would doubt. doesn't matter how I feel, what the headache's like, who treated me bad, it doesn't matter, Christ is true. Then it becomes a moral faith, but it's the faith there that is concrete enough to save. I, it, it says, the, let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the double-minded man unstable in all his ways, how can he expect to receive anything from God? So the, the faith that begins has to be a saving faith, not just assent to the biblical categories when you're feeling at your best and most religious, but you believe. Your faith has to be supplemented with virtue, and you have to make, for the reason above, the reason in the first paragraph, that you're going to want to take this faith to greater multiplied peace and grace, so that you're get rid of the corruption in the world, become partaker of the divine nature. I ought to be moved to shape my efforts by every means possible. To, to, through these through these adjustments now i don't think uh that you know you could probably build a uh, maybe a, a, a too acutely self-aware uh, line of development out of the order of these words come in maybe there's that maybe there isn't faith does come first before anything else virtue does come second nothing counts unless virtue has Has demonstrated your faith but the next thing on the list is the informed state of being your virtue you're going to make every effort to supplement your virtue with knowledge and all of a sudden you have to say about what by what how do I you know, I, some most basic questions occur um, in uh, early Christian counseling situations. You hand someone a Bible, their first Bible. They don't even know where to start reading. Yeah, I mean, you, you, the first question I ask is, "said Maybe you better read the Gospel of John first. <laughs> Otherwise, they're back in Leviticus and wondering what's going on." And uh, but, but that's a basic question. When I'm supposed to make every effort to supplement my virtue with knowledge. I have to say, what am I going to know about? And by what means am I going to know about it? Because I go back to it's the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord, verse 2. And it's all through the knowledge of him. So you can say, hmm, at least in this context, the knowledge I've just been told to get is about God and Christ. Um... Now, how do I get it? How do I, what are the means, what is the uh, epistemic source for knowing the things of God? This is why we were talking a little bit before the Bible study, we were talking about the disinterest in the scriptures and the part of a lot of Christians. with a lack of biblical knowledge. And it, they might have a lot of knowledge about the slave trade in Darfur, or whatever it is, uh, or all sorts of things that the church keeps talking about, but they're not about God and Christ. Um, And they don't approach the things, because they don't ask the question, question, if I make every effort, where would I be be making that effort, and what would I be making it about? And knowledge was self-control. Now, we know These things are things that are a result of your will and effort, from verse, the beginning of verse 5. God is trying by his divine power to grant us everything that pertains to life and godliness. God, by his power and his promises, are allowing us or helping us escape from the corruption of the world. But I have to practice that. I am making an effort in that. Somehow, there's, there's the self-control, which is the fruit of the Spirit so you say well, 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 well it's fruit of the spirit what am I doing making every effort you know um, what am I there there are elements of decision um, that or they would maybe may be talking about two different aspects of self-control one is that you are moved by the spirit to be controlled another is you have decided to be controlled. Just like I am moved by the Spirit to love, but I'm also deciding to love. I, uh, even as deciding to think about love, deciding to think about joy, deciding to figure out what's going on, how to understand all that pertains to life and godliness. I want to understand that because that's the nature of my God. So there is a... Um, uh, I, I think that there's a distinction between temperance here, and that's generally what the word can be translated as well. I think it might be so in the King James. Um, and the same as with the, the fruit of the spirit one. But you see that life that isn't necessarily just a moral choice, a virtue choice. Um, uh, that It's okay, don't hate, don't push granny down a flight of stairs, don't murder people, don't uh, be malicious, don't gossip. We know what virtue, you know, uh, don't do these bad things, do these good things. But then there is, you might say, learning to live the restrained existence. That I, I am not just presuming that if it's okay to do, when Paul says all things are lawful but not all things are helpful, not all things build up. Only the person that has a leash on themselves and says, "I can tug that back a little. I can." It's not a. It's not a bad if I did it. You know, or a good if I didn't. It's a, It's an ambivalence, or a okay if I did it, but a controlled existence is to be recommended. It's a supplementary thing to your knowledge. And self-control with steadfastness. And that that steadfastness has to do with what I was saying in the faith, when I go on about what Lewis said about faith, about consistently, consistent and enduring in that every day you wake up a Christian and you go to bed a Christian. And this is not a... um, Uh, And and some Christians struggle with doubts, no doubt. (laughs) No pun intended, or it wasn't a pun, an oddity. Um, When people have doubts, uh, they're at a stage of less knowledge. When they have doubts, they're going to sometimes think, as they use their doubts to excuse misbehavior, they're looking at their doubts as answers. And the doubts are actually questions. And the questions answered, the pursuit of knowing, the pursuit of getting to the bottom of something, is because I really want to know the answer. I don't want to have the curiosity or the uninformed. I think that the uninformed makes me a vacant mind and I can do what I will because I was vacant. We sometimes gather that if I know too much, I will be constrained to become partakers of the divine nature. And I'm not sure I want to be partakers of the divine nature right at this moment. Steadfastness is something we, we have to build up, um, um, which is a... Um, well, it's consistent. It's consistent and it endures and it, it has gotten past that doubting portion. It is no longer affected by moods. The steadfastness gets supplemented with godliness. Now you say, well, it's all these things, they're all mixed up together, kind of, Yeah. No doubt, I. You could probably say, "Well, virtue and godliness," but this is there is there is a piety that we call in the scriptures godliness, um, where you are being defined by um, who you're most like. There's, There's the virtue. I can still be essentially you know, Evan, and you can be you, and that that distinction is not a moral one, but there is... When you meet older people who have lived in Christ for a long time, and you begin to wonder if they have any of their personality left, you know, they're interesting people, they're, they're wonderful people, as a matter of fact, but we're taking on the image of Christ. We are being conformed to the image of Christ. It's one of the promises in the New Testament, that we are being led to. So, that is a, you might say, a a, a subtle shift on virtue. It's a virtue that looks not like Evan doing the virtuous act, but it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You know, that that even Christ, when his ungodliness, I don't say anything but what the Father told me to say. He he was completely, completely partaking in the divine nature. So that's, you know, we might say, if you want to look back up and see how it fits into that first paragraph, that's when you're partaking. Godliness is uh, sharing the, the image of his son. And godliness with brotherly affection. Now, and brotherly affection with love. We had a question last night. During the discussion period, uh, because we were talking about Christian charity and Christian love and and what was the distinction between loving the brethren and loving the Gentile, the ungodly, the infidel. This is the distinction. We we supplement on one hand our relationship to the body of Christ is philia. Uh, It's actually the word here is Philadelphia. Brotherly love. Brotherly affection. Um, And um, uh, it's distinct from agape, which is the next word, brotherly affection with love. Agape is, is does not have any expectation or relationship needed with the person loved. You are just desiring their good. Like you would yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. And there is a... Um, you recognize they are a self, doesn't matter whether they're your enemy, doesn't matter whether you're you're a friend. Uh, you have you have sought their good. Brotherly affection presumes a membership, presumes a family circumstance that has an engagement of shared you know mutuality. but I'm supposed to be accounting for that distinct from Agape. And Christians will get caught up in certain aspects of these. Some groups will be all about faith. Some about goodness. Some about knowledge. Some about their—they will call it community—not a community. They will call it community. They're—they're uh, they're about what they're having together. And you gotta say if I've made every effort, whatever order I put these in, and whatever is supplementing the other thing, or if I see a path here that I think needs to be. Connected. I'm supposed to make every effort to supplement all these things with all these things. I don't get to pick and choose. Four in verse 8, if these things are yours and abound, that's why you have to make every effort, you got to have them, and there has to be a lot of it, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful, in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he was getting to. Now there's knowledge in it. So I don't know on the list, but the effect and fruit. You could say well, you know, you know talks about being fruitful, being uh, in the parable of the sower, it talks about, you know, the fruit fruit of the Spirit. You have here the fruit of knowing God up in the first paragraph, verses 2 and 3. Grace and peace are multiplied to you, things that pertain to life and godliness. Those are the fruit of the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. These things keep you from not having that if they are abundant in you. whoever lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. It's a pretty, pretty much a bring you up short in nine short verses. Lay out the whole counsel of God. From the beginning faith through the saint, this is what it's about. I like the blind, short-sighted, and forgotten. It, you know, he's not just can't see, he can't focus. I mean, it's that Now, maybe different ways of speaking of degrees of not seeing, but at least you're blind and you can't focus and you can't remember. You're you're going to be in that situation, uninformable about what's going on around you in reality. And while those sorts of people are sort of entertaining to watch live their lives, it's not fun to be that person. There's a... uh, In the sum of it, when you say knowledge points about Christ back in verse 6, knowledge with self-control or virtue with knowledge, and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, there is an element of knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ that strikes me. I, mean, I don't want to invent something and put it in the words that's not there, but but uh, it, the sensation that we're dealing with knowing someone. Knowledge is, is one thing. It's a quantity of information. Um, it could be about a lot of different things, theological, scriptural, whatever, but the end result that you want to have is an effective knowledge of our Lord Jesus, and that is someone. And it's when you claim to, you don't have knowledge. I keep using illustration of someone who's the president of a fan club and somebody who's the next door neighbor of the person that's famous. The president of the fan club knows a lot of stuff about the guy, the next door neighbor knows the guy. And you want to be sure that the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ is not just a lot of knowledge about but knowledge of him there is a, also a sense if you stand back sometimes it's good to stand back I do this in painting where you can be right up close I used to paint on a table not on the easel and I paint, paint and I paint and I look at it and I paint and I paint and I set it up and I'd walk across the room and look back, realize the whole thing was really out of whack because I was painting at an angle and the whole thing was this elongated face that wasn't wasn't right until you stood back and looked at it dead on. Sometimes looking back at a, a scripture and saying, what is the general, what is the wowser? This is, a, this is a wonderful passage that lays out kind of marching orders for the believer in a very wonderful way. It's not a um, he's obviously writing with great encouragement to the saints. Precious and very great promises. All things that pertain to life and godliness. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very a charming thing. And you want to be able to make sure that as you make every effort to supplement your life with these things, that you don't lose sight of that um, wowser quality. I don't know if that's a scriptural term. Verse 10, Therefore, brethren, be the more zealous to confirm your call and election. For if you do this, you will never fall. Just look at the connection. He told you what was up at the beginning. Verse 5, he says, For this very reason, do this. Then he says, If these things are there, this is what the, the case will be. If they're not there, this is what the case will be. Therefore, be more zealous. And the only call here, now when the phrase call an election, certain theological things arise in certain minds, and we'll just avoid those. In this passage, the call that's mentioned is, he has called us to his own glory and excellence. Back in verse 3. And I'm supposed to be more zealous to confirm that I have been called to that because of what I've just just, uh, gone through. Because if I'm more zealous, if you do this, you will never fall. And that kind of promise is not generally found and embraced by the saints of the age. They want to jealously protect their legitimate right to occasional sins, if not frequent Um, because nobody's perfect and you shouldn't be talking about perfection you should be at least wanting it you should at least be hoping this promise I mean here's one of the promises his precious and very great promises if you do this you will never fall so there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ I would think that the say well You mean you're never quite sure if you're going to heaven? Well, no, you're never quite sure if you'll be richly provided with an entrance. Because if you don't fall, you will be richly provided. So I would be saying that the Christian who does fall, always falling, they'll be entering poor. I, I use that passage in Corinthians where he talks about building on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And he talks about the different structures people build on the foundation of Jesus Christ and you're either gold, precious stones, and silver or you're wood, hay, and stubble and fire will test what every man has done and if they, their work will be burned up or not and it's as if it is burned up they will suffer loss but their soul will be saved. Okay? They, because the foundation back the faith that is of equal standing with the apostles is still there. So I don't doubt that there's a distinction in how we enter glory. And the person who has made their Christian life this kind of distinction, making every effort going after this abundance of gain in their Christian walk, zealous to confirm that they were drawn on to this by God, they will it's a part of the avoidance of falling. The promises never fall and you will be richly provided an entrance into the eternal kingdom. Therefore, Paul, Peter's response to this is, what this is what, you're like me, and this is what we all should be doing. This is what you should be expressing yourself in in your Christian life. What I'm expressing myself, therefore I intend always to remind you of these things. Peter commits himself. To constantly, what it says in Philippians, I write the same things to you. It is not irksome for me, and it's safe for you. Now, that's the basic idea. We've heard this. We, you know, we're Christians. We know what faith, virtue, knowledge, call self control. We've had sermons about a lot of these things, and it's at a certain point in your Christian life, it starts to become old hat, going over it again. But Peter says, I intend to always remind you, though you know them. He knows that. He knows that we're already there and are established in the truth that you have. I'm not talking on a problem church here. You guys are, you guys are faithful believers in equal standing with us. I'm just telling you stuff you already know because you need to be told it again and again. I think it right as long as I'm in this body to arouse you by way of reminder since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. And I will see to it that after my departure, you may be able to recall at any time to recall these things. And that would be the measure I would give to how do you know when you no longer need to hear it, when you can at any time recall these things. That's a, uh, the fact that he wrote it down in a letter. um, uh, Some people say, I will see to it that after my departure, you may be able to, that somehow, St. Peter in Heaven will be doing something for us while after he's dead. I'm not sure it reads naturally that way, but that he put something in place, he taught this, he wrote this out, so they could go back to these things. Now, that's what kind of Christian you want to be, especially for the next generation, for your children, for your friends, so that you can be the next encouragement to this list of supplementals You can be the next encouragement to the balanced life serving the uh, the knowledge of God. For we did not follow, verse 16, cleverly devised myths, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. We heard this voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Okay, he's referring, I have the passage here, Matthew 17, the transfiguration of Christ. That's what the Lord says. This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And Peter's going, um... There's a distinction between what we're doing and what other inventive people might do, coming up with an interesting philosophy. We're not a clever myth. We're not a clever fiction that gives you cause to try to live by it because it represents such a grand story. We sometimes watch like Christmas movies which tell great, meaningful things, and even though it never really happened, it's a wonderful life, never really happened. Um, We we know it's fiction, but we still have it dear to our hearts because it says such great things about the human condition and characters. Um, We're not that. We were eyewitnesses, says Peter. We were with him on the mountain. God spoke of his son in our hearing. And we have the prophetic word made more sure. Now, what you've got to have in terms of your... Comprehension of the faith it is not that you're stepping into a world of reasonably complicated mythos that you that you enjoy because kind of like people get into Lord of the Rings and start knowing all the names and places and they can draw a map from memory of Middle Earth. Um, some people are that way about the things of God and the Church, and it doesn't matter how complicated or the fact that they're treating mythically the thing that is true you want them to be witnesses of it to a lesser degree but they have to be witnesses of it that's why we call witnessing witnessing you know <laughs> you are testifying what you encountered. you're not testifying what happened to Cory Ted boom you're testifying what happened to you not testifying what happened to Peter but what happened to me the the the, the that that encounter with the actual that that moves from something admired or it could be potentially fiction or not has a actuality in it and it's a growing time we have had the prophetic word made sure you will do well to pay attention to this as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts sort of a, a very poetic way of referring to the growth of the believer or the growth of our experience in Christ. Um, this light that, you know, sometimes when you become Christian, it's just this wonderful change. And then slowly you're looking around, you realize the world is pretty black. The, your experience with the grace of God is a singular, alone, one soul changed before God. And it's a dark light, it's a, it's a, it's a light in a dark place. It's waiting for the dawn. I like that about Lewis's uh, um, what's it called, *Great Divorce*, where the whole scene in heaven is waiting for the dawn. The dawn hasn't started yet, and in hell they were just waiting for the night. They they have this. It's sort of dawn in one case and twilight in the other, and and uh, it's a great image of what we're waiting to have happen. And the morning star rising in our hearts. The morning star, oddly enough, is Lucifer, but uh, Venus. And um, it's it it's in the sky before the dawn or early, early, early part of the day. You'll see the morning star before is it before the sun comes up. And uh, and so I don't know whether he's making some sort. You got this. You're you're standing around in the pitch black. You got up at four in the morning. You got your light. You know, I got a flashlight. And, where you just start at the fire at the campsite and beginning to see the gray in the morning and the morning star rises in your hearts. These are things that are all the progress of this glory that's coming on you. This um, glory and excellence he talked about earlier. In the, um, but there's a desire on Peter's part that we do well to pay attention to this. Do well to understand that the Apostles who went this guy went to his death he was looking forward I'm going to die here soon the Lord Jesus told me remember when he told Peter that he was going to be taken where he didn't wish to go that was the prophecy of his of his death by which means he was going to die and he knew he was going to die for the faith but the image in his head was I have seen Christ, I have heard the glory, it has become more and more real to me all the time. The prophetic word made more sure. And we can share in that to to a similar kind of way um, uh, that Peter had. First of all, you must understand this. Now the rest of the book, the reason I broke it off here is he's talking about false prophecy in the next section, false teachers and the like. So uh, it's sort of introductory, but it wrapped up this section. You must understand this, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. Because no prophecy ever came by the impulse of man, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Now, he's, he's going back to his, this prophetic word made more sure. He is speaking about his witness of the Christ, what the christian life is supposed to be like, how you're supposed to live it, what we share, what you're supposed to see like he saw and have this growing sense of the glory of god in you. But remember, it wasn't cleverly devised myths. We're talking about and this is a, this is kind of point where your mind gets blown, not because I'm saying something wow, but the mind getting blown from the distinction of what is it that Christians believe, and yes I believe that, to know that's the way things are. That's big distinction from what is believed inside the church, inside this religion, a good church, a believing church, a loving church, a Orthodox church, a church where you're happy to be and it takes care of all of your spiritual needs. And that's what and we're about. But no, this is about something that is. In the previous book of Bracken Chapter 4, somewhere in there, it said those who speak as if they were uttering the oracles of God. Now, we're not playing a game of some religion where we get to uh, have our own kind of little devices everything we say about this is either something that's representing me, my own interpretation the impulses I follow, you see all that being lived out in the church by liberals and conservatives and everybody speaking the impulse of their own culture or their own desires to have accomplished things, without this, this <clears throat> restraint of going hold it it's not a matter of our own interpretation. Watch what you do, because you're representing the real. You're representing the absolute real that isn't just inside Christianity. Uh, you, should, you are speaking of what is, and you should speak of what is as if it is, um, and not always dwell on the freedom you have and the obscurity of some of the understandings to come up with your own way of looking at it that kind of suits the way you live you 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 don't want to be satisfied with that you want to be only satisfied with discovering what is and bowing the knee before truth understand that speculations or interesting things like that are there as tools to get you going but they're like hypotheses that i must go find out they're like positive doubts they're positive questions or or maybes that I bring up. But until I I don't find them, just like I don't live in my doubts as if they were answers, I don't live in my speculations as if they were answers either. Because only what is matters. Now, that's the end of the section, but I had this section out of Jeremiah because that, that last bit is this wonderful section, Jeremiah 23 where he's talking about the prophets. And I won't read the whole thing, but there's some great lines in here. I have heard, verse 25, I have heard with the prophets who have said, have said who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long shall there be lies in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies and prophesy the deceit of their own heart? who think to make my people forget my name by their dreams, which they tell one another, even as their fathers forgot my name for Baal. Let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream, but let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. What has straw in common with wheat, says the Lord, is not my word like fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer which breaks the rock in pieces." Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, says the Lord, who steal my words from one another. Behold, I am against the prophets, says the Lord, who use their tongues and say, says the Lord. Behold, I am against those who prophesy lying dreams, says the Lord, and who tell them and lead my people astray by their lies and their recklessness. When I did not send them or charge them, so they do not profit this people at all, says the Lord. Now, it's basically laying out this distinction of the self-interpreted, the self-impulsive, what we want to be doing with our religion, what we want to be crafting as part of a religious urge and a desire to create a, uh, a new Christianity. There's more understanding of gender issues, you know, whatever you want, whatever you want to be in. Um, those people, you have a dream, you have a dream. But if you have the word of the Lord, you have the word of the Lord. And it's like straw and we and God's word is like a hammer which breaks the rock in pieces that's the verse that my father used to name our used to be a magazine we put out at CCM called the hammer and that verse was the byline. Um, it was good while it lasted um, but then this is this, this next section is is, is also wonderful um, When one of this people, verse 33, or a prophet or a priest asks you, What is the burden of the Lord? You shall say to them, You are the burden. And I will cast you off, says the Lord. For as the prophet, priest, or one of the people who says the burden of the Lord, I will punish that man and his household. Thus you shall say, Every one to his neighbor and every one to his brother, What has the Lord answered? Or what has the Lord spoken But the burden of the Lord you shall mention no more, for the burden is every man's own word. And you pervert the words of the living God, the Lord of hosts, our God. It's a great, to drag us back to our task of knowing God and our, our Lord Jesus Christ. To know him actually. To not know about him. When we know about him, we then go and create our fan clubs in various parts of the town to to represent what we want to feature about what we're a fan about, uh, and we adjust it, and we 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 make it up to match some of our impulses and some of God's, and and we like to ask people, you have a burden from the Lord?" No, you don't have burdens from the Lord. You either have the Word or you don't have the Word, and and hold yourself to that because in this next section, which we'll cover next week. Um, We have false teachers. Simple as that. And the danger is in every situation. Not a big danger here at this Bible study because there are not enough people to be really led astray. But still could be doing it. When you say I'm going to know God about what and by what, and where are my emotion, my emotional claim is. I am standing in the face of the Transfiguration. I'm standing in the face of God himself speaking of his Son, the creator of heaven and earth, and I have to be conscious that it's the oracles of God that I'm going to be speaking about. So I don't want to, I want to be hindered from my speculations, my impulses, my things that seem to get excitement out of people, whatever it might be. You have to say, what is true? And how important is it that it be true to God? Well, that even with the added extra huge section of Jeremiah, it took us a little under an hour. But next week we will finish Second Peter and uh, talk about false teachers and the like. And let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you very much. We're grateful for this encouragement, the warning, the pointing out to our tasks what we ought to be about. Help us want it zealously. In your son's name, amen.